Welcome to Discover Indie Film. I'm Jeff Howard, and this is going to be a good podcast because I've got Will Crown here. I'm excited to be here, Jeff. Thanks, man. I'm excited to have you here. I met Will at Sherman Oaks Film Festival Mm -hmm. not quite a year ago, in 2022, November 2022, because your film, Oksana, was an official selection, and... uh, I didn't warn you, but cursing is allowed on the podcast. We've got the explicit thing marked, so we're free to curse. Fantastic. I'm free. Okay. Because uh, Oksana is a fucking great movie. I mean, I don't know where you're going to say. I won't do any spoilers. You're free to give spoilers if you feel like it. But it is, it's one of those dramas that I guarantee no one will ever forget. It's a true story. It's impactful. I'm sure I said this at the Q&A at the theater, sure. but you still showed, a, you just show a ton of filmmaking skill and talent because a story like that could have gone wrong like a million different ways. Mm. And I know that people, I bet during your festival run, most of your Q&As, like how can people not discuss the subject, right? Right. For sure. But I always try to make an effort to talk about the filmmaking because as I told you before we started recording, like Sherman Oaks Film Festival gets over 800 submissions now. And I see a lot of films about a really important subject and the film's not good. (laughs) It can be be butchered easily. Yeah. It's just really, and I I don't know if it's harder to get the filmmaking aspects right when the met, when these message and or subject is human and difficult and challenging. Mm -hmm. Probably right. It's, might be harder to be like I need I, I, I still need the framing to be right. I still you know like I still yeah. need these filmmaking elements to be right, even though something really intense is happening. I'm, I'm yeah. sure it's challenging. It is you know there's such a balance because yeah, when you're dealing with a true story, especially if it's something like in in Oksana, it's dealing with a societal issue. You know in in that regard, it's dealing with. Um, violence towards women and misogyny and all kinds of things like that. So when you're dealing with something that's already a hot topic and you have to be careful to, you know, how you touch on it, how you express it and to walk that line. But at the same time, you're, you're doing that. Like you said, you've got to make sure that you're doing a great job as a filmmaker and that you're hitting all the right notes and that you're, you know, tapping on people's heartstrings and, and really, you know everything. We had an amazing team, but everything from the sound and the the DP, the the lenses that are being used, like all of it's so important and comes together to tell the story. Which ultimately, to answer your question, when you're dealing with true content, I feel like it's almost a greater responsibility that you have to adequately tell it and to express that story. You know, so yeah, I, I would agree with you. And, and to get it right and to to go above and beyond, right? Yeah. Because you're besides honoring the story. Yeah, you you want those elements to be to be cuz I yeah, the the ones I criticize that are about something important and the filmmaking is poor. Sure. Yeah, it's it's not like, oh, it doesn't matter, you know, if we light this right because what matters is the subject. That's not filmmaking. That's sure. They should just do documentary. Yeah. Yeah, definitely and you know, for me I just I wanted to make sure that with this film, this is the first time I've done a true story. But I want to make sure that it was something because it didn't really touch my heart when I heard it, that I could express that to other people and let them be moved. You know, film has always been super cathartic to me since I was a kid. I mean, I, my, my 
dad left when I was like seven, and I would go to the theater. I would anytime I could get any money, or if even if I didn't have money, I'd sneak in the theater, and I would go all day long, Jeff, and I'd hang out from like. Uh, you know, 10 o'clock at the first showing, matinees, you know, 12, 15, 3 o'clock, and, and literally hop around in the theater, you know, and this is in western New York at the time, and see as many movies as I could because it just was so inspiring to me. So in as much as it was cathartic to me, I want this film, Oksana, but also anything else that I've worked on or am working on to bring that to other people. I feel like we can glean so much from it, you know. Absolutely. All right. Well, I, I'm going to ask you all kinds of Oksana questions when we get to it. Yeah. But you gave me like, was that the most perfect accidental segue ever for my question <laughs> of, of how you got started with your interest in uh, film and, and storytelling? So. so so you you were, I love the fact that those theater employees were like, oh, let this kid go from theater to mm-hmm. theater all day. Just don't, don't hassle the guy. Yeah, they were pretty uh, generous, I think. You know, the, some of that and then some of the fact that I was uh, fast on my feet, maybe. But, uh, <laughs> but I, I, I am grateful for that period of time. You know, we can always look back at our life and, and see traumas in different ways, right? All of us. We all got trauma. We all got stuff that we've been through. But it's about what do we glean from it. And one of the most... Uh, influential parts of my life early on was that, was the theater, was seeing movies, was being impacted. And when I saw one that I loved, I would go again and again. I would see a movie, you know, six times in the theater. Of course, again, I wasn't paying for it half the time, but uh, I would see it as much as I possibly But you were buying could. the first ticket. I was buying the first so, ticket. So honestly, they're not losing money when you're sitting in an empty no, seat. No, no, not at all. Not at all. I, I swear to God, it's ethical. Yeah. I, I like the way <laughs> as long as as long as you didn't use a screwdriver to pry open that back door like I did some not. middle I did, schoolers. I did not. And you know, at that age, you know, I mean as long as, as long as you're maybe before sixteen, I think, you're what's the big deal? You're there watching a movie, you're being influenced. Oh my god, movie theaters are empty during the day anyway. Yes. Yeah, For sure. Completely. All right, we got you covered ethically. <laughs> and 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 I've got Western New York, so that's yeah. Upstate ish, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, from there I uh I did a bunch of different uh, drama and theater and things of that nature in school. Always loved storytelling. I actually did a lot of writing in school, uh, things of that nature. It was in a lot of uh, some visual arts, but a lot of um, performance arts like uh, musical theater and things of that nature. And then it just developed over time, you know, my passion. And I, I thought I was going a different direction and went to college like many of us for different things that, you know, ultimately left me wanting more. What, what was it? Oh, I finished a degree in business. Sure, you know, sure. Was, you you were thinking practically. You were yeah, thinking, yeah. I should. I always think those business degrees pay off when someone has to produce their own work. They can, you know. But the only thing about business, I mean, it's so quickly changing. It's just rapidly changing, especially now. So what was valid information when I went to school really isn't anymore. Most of it. Now, I was in a, an organizational leadership degree program. So some of the leadership skills have definitely transferred and, and just being able to work with a team, work with people, you know, and, and also and hopefully people would say they've worked with me that I help inspire them towards the story because I feel like that's a big part of uh, a director's work is kind of getting everyone involved, you know, everybody down to like your, your sound guy, if he has a note or your PAs or your anybody like 
letting people know that they have input and that their opinion is valid. Obviously, being told at the right time, don't stop in the middle of a shot and tell me, you know, you want something different. I had that happen one time, believe it or not. <laughs> but uh, but I think being able to inspire people and, and kind of keep open doors so that they feel comfortable to have input is huge to a collaborative, creative work like Philip. Well, it's huge. And, and, and also, I'm sure organize a organizational leadership you're yeah. aware that that everything goes from the top down as far as tone yeah and the yeah. quality of the environment definitely but so so a lot of live theater and writing as a kid mm-hmm. and then during college did you like play with cameras and stuff on the side uh yes actually well not from the like dp standpoint but more so in front of the camera my i had a, a good friend of mine we're still good friends um and we used to, we were working a job while I was in college at like the rec center, you know, and it was 6 a.m. in the morning. We'd be dead tired and we'd go and we'd go into the bathroom stalls and sleep for the first, you know, hour trying to get the sleepies out of our eyes. Anyways, we'd be in, in like side little corridors when we're supposed to be working. We'd be making these films and he had a camera, you know, back then it wasn't like your phone on your, or your camera on your phone. So he had a camera and we would just put stupid stuff together. It was mostly comedic, you know, everything that we did back then about mutant spiders biting you and and uh, exercise promo videos and, and dumb stuff, but it, it helped pass the time. I'll and the editing that. and camera thing maybe? or Yeah, a little bit of that. You know, we just, you do as much as you possibly can with the time that you can. But again, it, I didn't think that was going to be a career path at the time. It was more just pure enjoyment. Yeah, uh, especially with you, you were acting. Yeah. Yeah, which yeah. which you had experience with from when you were younger, for sure, for sure. And then, uh, like I said, I did the business for a while and wanted to blow my brains out. And at one point, I just said, "Forget this," and uh, I came to California, and here I am. So, you know, and that was so you graduated and and went into business. We got yes, uh, you you did. Uh, I did some business, did some finance, uh, and. Right, New York, sure, sure. Yeah. yeah, well, actually, at this time, so I went to college in Oklahoma. Oh. Yeah. Oh, so you went from, well, you went from western New York to Oklahoma. Right, right. But that still must have been a little bit of culture shock, huh? Yeah, yeah, most definitely a huge culture shock. Um, but I had been around different cultures, and I was kind of excited for that. Again, that's one of the things that I think that I gleaned from filmmaking and also from my, my mom was probably the most empathetic person that I've ever known. Um, she was just an amazing woman, and and so she taught me the importance of like seeing things through other people's perspectives, you know. So I, I wasn't like, I didn't have an aversion to that at all. I wanted to experience different cultures. I wanted to get outside of my bubble. I knew I was in one to begin with, and uh, got the opportunity to move away, and I did first shot ahead. So, and then same thing when it was time, and I just knew it was time to come out to California. First shot ahead, I'm like, let's do this, you know. And that was to to walk away from business and pursue the yeah. They more so specific. Were you thinking acting? Were you thinking directing? More so acting at the time. And I had already even there was a film that had been shot in Oklahoma, two features actually that I had been cast in and done some acting. So I was kind of picking up some speed there and came out here for more so the the acting and. Like so many actors out here, over time, there's this, like, maturation process. And I just kind of developed as a storyteller. Started with writing. I've written several uh, shorts and now five, six features. And just developed from that to 
you know, initially just wanting to um, write to be cast and be able to act in the role. Uh, but then it was so much more. It was about you know being able to share, again, that same type of experience, that magical cinematic experience that we both love, right, with somebody else. And so I started uh, finding things that I could, writing things that I could sometimes act in, but more so like Oksana, I didn't act in at all, just direct and, and put my whole passion into. So, yeah. And did you ever dial back to the youth at the theater? Did you did you think about the importance of movies in your life? Or really, you were just moving forward, just, not you weren't looking back? Yeah, just moving forward. You know, I mean, my mother actually passed uh, hmm. last, gosh, it was 22. So same year that we met, uh, in January of that year. So when something like that happens and you lose somebody that's close to you, of course, you get super introspective. And I did actually go back uh, just internally to a lot of what the different parts of my upbringing that kind of shaped me, you know, helped me become who I was and what I was grateful for. And so I think since that time and since that loss, like uh, I've grown a lot and it's made me want to dive even more where now this is all I do. I'm full-time filmmaker, actor, and, and we're actually, we're moving forward full steam ahead. We've got a feature film that we're working on. There's just a lot of stuff like in the works um, that we're excited about. So. Well, let me move you backwards. So you move out and you're acting mm-hmm. and then you start writing stuff. When's the first time you direct something? Uh, first time I directed something was only 20, let me think here, 2021. And so was that, was that sort of out of the need to tell, like, I think, I do think, I always wonder why writers like I'm always not suspicious of screenwriters who sure. don't move into directing, but I mean, you are visualizing the film as you write. Like it's completely. hard not to want to direct that sucker, right? Yeah, yeah, completely. Especially when you start to like look at some of the what I would call the greats, right? Uh, Christopher Nolan, Quentin Tarantino, you know these current modern day greats, right? Um, they have their writer directors that have such a passion for their story because they've they've almost literally birthed it, you know, and just groomed it and helped it to mature. And you know how many revisions there are in these scripts. I mean, tens and twenties, right? Easily. So they've sat with these stories for a long time. And I know that from the actor's side, you know, I, I, I study regularly with uh, the Imagine Life studio, Diana Castle. And they teach a lot about like imagination work and really spending time with the story and letting it like become a part, creating memories and things so that you're completely, you know, engrossed in it and it, it, you're just having a conversation, right? It's the same thing I would think for a writer and then director. If you've sat with these characters for probably years by the time you're actually filmmaking, right? How much more intimate, how much more do you have to actually pour into it? I, I've never wanted to be a director who, you know, is just works for hire. I just don't really have a lot of passion for that. And it's not about money for me. It really is about storytelling and something, you know, sharing something from inside of me with others. So, Right. So you, you wrote stuff mm-hmm. as a, as an actor, you started writing and then, and then you, so in 2021, you, you wrote a short and said, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to jump on this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, it's funny because 
I did not think that I was going to enjoy directing like I really did. Um, again, because my primary passion has always been acting, and I love I love film all together. And I think a lot of actors experience this. You kind of have a fear that if you jump on the other side of the camera, right, that maybe you'll be giving up or short selling yourself from from your pursuit of acting, you know. But then you have to look at it and realize that so many great filmmakers, storytellers, and actors have done just that. You know, you look at, heck, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, right, with Goodwill Hunting. You look at all the way back at Sylvester Stallone with Rocky, right? I mean, there are, there's countless stories, actually, of people that have done that, and not just actors, but writer-directors that have built their careers that way. Uh, as opposed to just being raised up through the ranks and doing internships at studios. All that stuff is great. I'm not negating any of that. But if, you know, I think this is the time for indie film. I really do. And if you have a passion for something, I think there's no better way to get out there and uh, grow in the field than to just do it and surround yourself with great people that will help bring the vision to life. And I'm the one millionth person to say that an actor who, even if they just tried directing once, it helps the acting to yeah. understand what's going on on the other right. side of that invisible wall between you and the camera. Yeah. And, and directors who have tried acting, either as younger or later on, I think they gain an appreciation because the separation of those roles yeah. and the feeling that they're, you know, I think you get nothing but trouble unless, unless yeah. both sides respect each other. 100% agree. And actually, my favorite guy in the world, well, not my favorite, but I was a big John Landis fan, mm-hmm. still am. Okay. And his big thing was casting directors in little bit parts. <laughs> and I always loved, like, he... Oh, I love that. He, he has a film, Into the Night, where, like, David Cronenberg, Roger Vadim, uh, Frank Oz. I, I mean, there's, like, a dozen directors oh, wow. who cool. act in the film. And, and it's... Uh, and a lot of them do a nice job. Heck, even uh, what, Sydney, uh, Sydney Pollock. Really? He did great acting in Tootsie. He, <laughs> he, played, he played the agent. But, but yeah, so you're totally... Yeah. No, it's true. I mean, and you're right. It's not just one way. I mean, the actors will also learn so much more once they get on that side. Because in several ways, as soon as I started directing and I was looking at auditions, what a mind-blowing experience for an actor to see what a casting director and or director is seeing you know because we were at small at that point what we were just i'm looking at everything i'm the cd i'm everything right what a difference in paradigm what a shift to realize that oh my gosh like if this looks shitty right here there's i i'm not even paying attention you know if if there's like this type of error i'm not going to sit and wait through especially in this day and age right when our attention spans are so much shorter i'm not going to sit and wait through to see if it gets good it better be good from the very beginning you know and also it better be in pretty quick because after a while if you find what you're looking for you're not going to keep looking if you've already found somebody you know and even if you do happen to see one your brain is already locked on the one that you saw previously so you might uh, be dead set on it and you might not see it's anybody else with that particular activating system. So I'm a big believer that it helps you both ways. It helped me as an actor coming across the camera and, and being a director and it, and I do definitely believe that it helps directors to be able to 
coach an actor because actors are super sensitive, right? Uh, we all have stuff, but actors, I know because I'm one. We we see the world differently. We're very we see it in colors. We see it in music. We see it uh, in emotion. You know. Well, and actors are putting their souls on the line. Yeah. Like if you want yeah. to talk about vulnerability, they have to be. But I also think like to what you said. God, every actor should at least once cast something, be yeah. on the other side of the table. Although I guess nowadays it is all on tape. Yeah, <laughs> but, sure, uh, sure. But just to understand that you don't have to walk in there scared as fuck mm-hmm. and nervous and feel like they're judging your soul because they're not actually. They're not. They're, you'll see that they can be like, wow, that person was wonderful. Yeah. It's just not what we're looking for. Like right. it, it, it lowers the pressure, right? Because yeah. most of the time when people blow auditions, it's because they walk in like, I want this one so bad. And yeah, and they're like, desperate, right? That's, that's the worst vibe to have. Uh, it's the worst. It's like going on a date, you know, when you're just desperate for the girl and you want her so bad. It's such a turnoff, even for the opposite way. If a girl's like, hey, marry me, marry me, you know, like I want to have a kid or whatever. That's a big turnoff, right? We know that. So why do we think that it will work when we're going in the casting room or right now in self-tapes, right? If we got to have a confidence, and I, I truly believe this, that if it's meant for you, it's yours, that it's coming to you if you're doing good work, if you're prepared for it. Like they say, and I'm a firm believer, uh, how does this, the phrase go? It's better to be prepared and not have an opportunity than, not have, than have an opportunity and not be prepared. Like that's almost one of my greatest fears is that when that moment comes, right, and you have the opportunity to either be cast in this next huge uh, blockbuster movie or direct and work with, direct this great movie that impacts millions of lives and work with this amazing cast and crew and, and just do great things that way but not be ready because I was lazy, lethargic, whatever you want to call it. Like, that's one of my greatest fears. So that kind of propels me to stay in action even during this time when you know there's a lot of striking obviously you know strikes which i'm a proponent of um or things like that going on continuing to work and move forward in any capacity that's that's available to you you know and and you nailed something that i mean obviously most people listen to this podcast get it but the public at large thinks the actors are just full of talent and they show up and their natural talent carries them Mm. and they don't think about the jillion hours of preparation, the, yeah. the Beatles at Hamburg experience you have to have of auditioning and working and auditioning and working. Yeah, because yeah. no no one gets a part because they're just perfect for it. It's a ton of work and a ton of preparation. Right, right. You know, especially I was speaking with somebody about this recently in this day and age. It's so different. You, I, I don't know if you were like this. When I was a kid and early on, you know, you always you have this distorted view that casting you could be walking down the street and and you hear these these stories about how oh they just randomly saw them at a starbucks and this person was just so perfect for the role and the and the director saw him and said oh we're gonna work with you you know and and you think of like george lucas with harrison ford for example he was you know working on his cupboards or, or whatnot doing carpentry the fact of the matter is in today's world with social media and the internet we're all so interconnected there are a million amazing looking people out there and there are a lot of really talented people as well. So it's not just about uh, let me uh, look a certain way and hopefully I'll be discovered. No, you better be putting yourself in those positions uh, and to, to get the opportunities. 
to, to be discovered, of course, and being in those rooms with people that, that are doing things, you know, just being around people like that kind of elevates your, your way of thinking and, and gets you in bigger doors, I think. So, and there's no doubt that Harrison Ford was working his ass off yeah. as an actor too. Like, yeah. right. If you're working in someone's cupboards and you look like the right guy uh, to be an American graffiti and you come in and read and you suck, it's exactly. over. It's over. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's funny you say that because that story is so misrepresented so often. He specifically says, I've, I've listened to interviews, he was doing that because he wanted to have the flexibility to go on whatever auditions that he he had when they came. Of course, back then there was no self-tape. It was all go across town, no matter where it is, get to that audition, and it could be like that afternoon, right? So he wanted to have that flexibility. So he was doing the carpentry. And not only that, he didn't want to take small, crappy roles that he really had no investment in, he, he had no interest in. So as opposed to him saying... Let me do, if we put it in today's terminology, let me do this small thing for $100, you know, where I'm playing the same cliche part and nobody's ever going to see it. And it's crappy production value, right? We're talking about filmmaking here. And it sounds horrible, which we know sound is like even more important than the visuals. And I'm going to do it because I need the 100 bucks. As opposed to that, he preferred to step back from that opportunity and say, no, let me be smarter. I want the right opportunity. So I'm going to do something that I can pay my bills, cabinetry, right? Be a carpenter for a little while, but still be training. He was always training so that I'm prepared for the right opportunity. And man, did it hit him. Especially because that was the era where if you did bit parts on TV to pay Mm -hmm. the rent, to stay above, above water in Los Angeles, they didn't let you move from TV to movies. Yeah, you were kind of pigeonholed, yeah. Yeah, it was it was a, you know, yeah, your best hope would be to get a, t- a series. Yeah. But they didn't let people... No, I mean, man. I grew up in the era where, like, there was just TV actors and movie actors. And yeah. there was no... Like, Michael J. Fox was, I think, one of the first to kind of transition. There was only a few. Michael J. Fox, Tom Hanks was another one. Hanks you know? managed, yeah. Yeah, but there, but there weren't many. Once you got locked in as a television actor... It was like, that's your niche, so you're not a film actor. And and that must have really sucked for those guys. And TV was pretty shitty back then. Yeah, it was all the kind standards of the same. were low. Yeah, they were. That's and true. all the screenwriters were the nephews and sons of, of studio execs anyway. Yeah, it's amazing. It's wild how different it is today with you know the content that's being produced is so high quality. You know, the stuff that you see the Obviously, you probably had a million people on your show that have talked about Breaking Bad and Ozarks and these long-form content uh, television shows now that you can take a character. And again, this is the actor side of me and, and the director side of me coming out. Uh, but to see their development over not only hours and hours and hours of episodes, but now even seasons, right? Three, four, five-plus seasons of this character arc, you really can do a lot with it. And it kind of for a guy just speaking from personal experience who you know 10 years ago didn't really har- hardly have any interest in television stuff it's amazing how it's changed my perspective and i think it has most people it has because qual- it's become quality storytelling yeah it's just become yeah it yeah listen i when you think about i'm a huge atlanta head and mm. and to watch to re-binge it and just watch how each season they must have sat down and said, all right, we're going to start making 
instead of making a TV series, we're going to make eight indie films this year. Yeah. Like right? they just made eight individual films that I th- I might be getting the number wrong, but there, you know, there was an episode with none of the main characters. I don't know. I, I, I just love it. Yeah. This it's is amazing. definitely a golden era of, of, of storytelling. And, and obviously, well, this, uh, we are, <laughs> Will and I are speaking during the WGA yeah. and SAG after SAG strike, after strike yeah. that is hopefully going to correct the bizarre loophole that streaming services were treated as different from cable and broadcast. Mm-hmm. But yeah, once that's fixed, then the blessing that was streaming that allowed this kind of long form storytelling. Yeah. Instead of it just having to be, you know, an episode that starts and finishes in 44 yeah. minutes. <laughs> hey, what do you know? Uh, Villain of the week. I know. You're right. So bad. <laughs> Actually, the kid for a little while wanted to watch, what was it? The... The one where they were talking about unsubs, and I was, I could not help but like, oh, that's, it. I'm like, whoever they want you to think did it. Right. The right. first, it's going to be the third killer. It's not going to be, the first two are red herrings. It's this like is, this is so formulaic. It's Scooby-Doo, you know? It is Scooby-Doo. Ah, these meddling kids there. <laughs> yeah. And man, Scooby-Doo was actually bad. <laughs> yeah, it was. I, don't get me wrong. I still love some Scooby, you know, but but yeah, it's just, it's the same thing. You know, it, a kid. It, we, we go on cruises and... and we cruise princess uh, and and they have a cha- a love boat channel yeah. in, in, oh, yeah. on the ship. Of course they do. Sure. And when you watch how a number one show was shot, like it was shot worse than an indie film. Yeah. Like they don't even get, sometimes characters are like in the wrong place from yeah. shot to shot. And they, they were like, oh, the audience doesn't care. They're just here to watch the bikinis around the pool or something. Like there was... They just did not give any fucks. Yeah, and I guess they were right because I mean that—that's a perfect example. That show stuck around for a long time. So, you know, it's it's insane. I, I guess that's a big part of uh, why the um, production value in filmmaking has become so much better is because the audience has begun to really have higher standards, and I'm grateful for that. Yeah, yeah. They, it turned out if you give us. If yeah, a restaurant better serves quality. better food, then yeah. people go more often. Definitely. Yeah, they finally discovered that. I guess it did take, maybe it took Netflix and or HBO. But yeah, HBO, it turned out HBO quality could be expanded. There weren't just six good dramas per year. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, well, that's that's a tangent, though. We were talking about you. So, so your first short. Festival run and stuff? Did you have fun with it? Or? No, it wasn't a festival run. I did have fun with it, definitely. It was a proof of concept as well. You know, I always had my eye on features, uh, which that's a big part of what I'm I'm still pushing for. But uh, but it's one of those things that was really more for myself than anything uh, early on. And just to work in the collaborative process, you know, to start to build a team, because as you probably know, I mean, this this industry, you kind of, create your tribe you know of people that you're comfortable with and you got a shorthand with and they just get you and you get them and you can hit them up anytime and and uh, talk shop so yeah and in your case you you had to get your director's legs under you yeah 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 now now i'm i'm very grateful because and i'm still building that that team so to speak but i mean i've got solid people that i've got a really solid producer um I'll give her a shout out to uh, Jamie Olson. And she does a fantastic job uh, as a producer. Uh, I have uh, a really solid cinematographer, uh, director of photography, Isaiah Flores. He's fantastic. I've worked with him 
this will be the third time coming up. Um, we've got a great first AD, Marissa Vaughn. We've got, and I've worked with her also, this will be the third time. I, we've got a great uh, you know, set design, uh, set decorator who just does a f- phenomenal job transforming sets, which we got a lot of that on this next one. Um, and then I've got to give it up to my fiance, who was the leading actress. We weren't engaged at the time, but in this in this film, Oksana, uh, Daria Diace is just a fantastic actress and really a rising star uh, in the industry. And and uh, so when you start to surround yourself with a team of like quality people that are not just good in their own right at what they do, but hungry like you and want to tell great stories and are willing to put in long hours and kind of figure shit out, which we often have to do in indie filmmaking. That's kind of the name of the game. Uh, man, it goes so much easier and it's so much fun. You know, it's pretty cool. No, it is. It's a, it's a team sport. Yeah, it is, man. Fully. And, and, uh, and people who don't understand how to work as a team are highly detrimental, right? You're, yeah. Uh, that chain has to be made of all quality links. Most definitely. Needless to say, I've got too many stories about people who had to be fired on the first day. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't me. <laughs> no, you're right. You're exactly right. Um, you can't have anybody that's too focused on themselves on a set, you know. It really, it's like, a, it's so funny because I never thought about this before, but I think all throughout the country, a lot of people, when they think of Hollywood and the film industry, they think of the what they would call selfishness and they think of, you know, actors and A-listers as a very, you know, egotistical group. But the fact is the highest quality people in our industry are the most selfless people that you'll ever work with. They really are. They, they, they're creative. They want to tell stories. They're passionate about, like, like I said, the human experience and emotions. And they're willing to give of themselves. And that's really what it takes. So, yeah, I've got some good ones. I couldn't help but think, based on what you just said. I mean, actually, Fran Drescher popped in my head, mm. based on what because she had her a hit sitcom in the era where that meant you're set for life, mm-hmm. and she is devoting her time and influence and face and power to help everyone else in that union and the other unions who need her, someone with her power and influence and, and weight culturally. Definitely. Because if it had been someone no one had ever seen before talking in front of that microphone. Yeah. You know, if the head of the WGA was, 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 was. It wouldn't wouldn't hold the same weight. No way. It it wouldn't. Whereas, whereas when she's, it's, it's so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And they are giving and, and Lord knows, you know, there's other people who made 60 million with a 80 sitcom and the the world could just fuck off to them. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you're right. You know, it, it's cool to see during this time. And like I said, I'm, I'm definitely a proponent of the of the strike. There's a lot of issues that need to be addressed, you know, um, and we don't have time to get into all that. But there's there's a ton that, that I'm pretty passionate about. But there's been some huge actors and directors that have kind of spoken up. And I mean, a, a few come to mind. Brian Cranston has, has got a lot of stuff out there. Mark Ruffalo has got a lot of stuff out there. Um, there's different people that are really coming to the forefront and standing up for the cause, so to speak. And it's cool because like you said, it's not their self-interest clearly, you know, not at all. Not at all. They're, they're the, as, as for, 
this I don't need to say this on this podcast because everybody knows, but but it's a pyramid, right? It's the pyramid where yeah. the the super successful, you know, flying private people are the tiny top of the pyramid, and then there's tens of thousands of people barely making a living. Yeah. You're holding them up. Holding them up, yeah. And That's right. and and it's it, it's the system can't work without the rest of the pyramid. Right. And uh and yeah, that this 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 is about and, and Lord knows nah, I won't I won't start the tangent of nah. of, no, of who the CEOs are, you know, oh, who man. who at the at the level of uh, you know, Netflix was pretending it's a tech company, not an entertainment company, and it's like, yeah, no. <laughs> if, if your yeah. programmers can afford a home in Palo Alto, right, and the people that write your hit shows are driving for Uber, that is not a business that should be sustained, right? I mean, it's just not. Yeah, yeah. There's some shady stuff going on. You know, the further up the chain you go, there, there really is. The studios, and I, I got to speak up for the writers because. Even more so, in my opinion, than the actors, and and you know, I have no, I'm not part of the WGA. I'm a part of the the SAG-AFTRA union, but WGA, those guys, these people are working on these top hit shows and putting in like crazy man hours. They're lead writers on these shows, and they're getting paid pennies. But you see what the studios are actually profiting, and obviously what the bonuses look like for the head CEOs and executives and whatnot. It, it's just. It's it's borderline criminal, and I, I there has to be some reckoning. I feel like there's got to be a, somewhat of a leveling of the playing field. I'm not I'm not saying that I'm not a fan of socialism that it should all be equal. I mean, because I do believe that people add different amounts of value. You know, I really do. I, I think that a Fran Drescher for what she did with that show should be should have been compensated the way that she was, because millions of people watched her and loved her. Right? She brought a lot of viewership. So I'm I'm not saying that it should all be uh, parceled out equally, but what I'm saying is I don't believe that it's uh, that it's right when you see these you know hundreds of millions of dollars that are being paid to some of these top level executive positions, and you got all these writers that are struggling to to pay their bills. Los Angeles is not a cheap town to live in, you know what I mean? Unless you are starting to rise up a little bit in income. If you want to buy a home in LA, you you really do need to start building up your net worth, and and people can't in the industry oftentimes until they get to a, a breakthrough, so to speak. Yeah, and to your point, everything starts with what's on the page. Everyone, yeah. everything starts with it. what is written. And if you were in the writers' room of the nanny, yeah, if what you wrote was good enough to get on the air and then get played in syndication, right. you got rewarded. And these people working in the staff room of a Netflix, I shouldn't pick on Netflix, but of a current sure. streaming show. Any of them. Yeah, Hulu, Apple TV. It, it takes off and it's being watched over and over, over the course of years. Right. And, and literally nothing comes to them. Right. In fact, I know it was Aaron Paul. You mentioned Brian Cranston. Yeah. Aaron, Aaron Paul very recently said, I've never gotten a penny for what Breaking Bad has netflix and wow. it's one of their top shows and uh wow it was very cool the guy who played skinny pete on breaking bad he was in a film at sherman oaks film festival i think in 2019 and 
so we became Facebook friends. And I got to see like that Breaking Bad reunion that, oh, was, yeah. that was in front of Sony Studios. I'm actually Facebook friends with him too. That's really? crazy. Yeah, because uh, I was out in Oklahoma at the time and I was doing a workshop and we connected because he knew Ricky Masler, who was a casting director that had, had cast a bunch of stuff. Anyways, yeah, we're, we're all so connected. What a small world, man. He's a cool guy. He's the nicest dude. Yeah. I still, I, yeah, that was, he was so nice. And I was like, I was one of those people. I was the nine millionth person to tell him, I don't know why you and Badger didn't get your spinoff. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I would have watched it. Hell yeah. I would have run to it. Oh my God. So those guys were so great. So funny. <laughs> but all right. So I'm going to attempt to, it's so hard not to be on the topic of the day, but yeah, but, uh, so your first short and then. Is Oksana the second one or third? So for, no, then there was a, another proof of concept uh, for, that was actually a proof of concept that was basically shot as like an extended trailer for the feature that we're doing now. And then Oksana. Now, amongst that period of time, we also produced several others. I produced and wrote uh, Acorn, uh, produced and wrote together, uh, so several shorts. Right, so those were scripts you had and you chose to produce but not direct. Correct. Yeah, we brought in a different director. Uh, Daria actually directed uh, Acorn, which is one that may go on your the streaming platform, the other streaming platform. Um, so, yeah, there's I've worked on several projects and we've created some different things, but only directed a few at this point. And, and uh, like I said, I never thought I would fall in love with the process of directing and you know working amongst all the different departments and bringing it all together and having this vision come to life as much as i have it's been pretty cool and it sounds very rad i mean you it feels like you've got a creative collective put together Mm -hmm. and people take turns with different roles yeah which makes everyone better yeah yeah most definitely like uh just as an example um the gentleman that i mentioned who does our uh set design and, and decor and whatnot he Cesar Reyes is his name. He's fantastic. But he has been working on this television show. That's It's a union show, but it was under the interim agreement, and they've been continuing. And he just got to, to direct the last two episodes. I'm super psyched for him. And I and would I hate to say it, but I don't know the name of the show right now. I'd have to look it up. But it's freaking awesome. And I, and I just hit him up because I saw something on his uh, in Instagram where he was showing his director's chair on, and he's all pumped. And I was like, did you direct this, man? He's like, yeah, the last two episodes. It's like a dream come true. So that's what you want, man. Just the, you know what I mean? Being around people that you can celebrate their wins, they're celebrating your wins, and we're just kind of all rising together, you know? It's, it's pretty neat. It's a cool experience. Fantastic. All right, so, so you do the... Feature proof of concept, which mm-hmm. is now coming together, but yeah. we'll get to that after Oksana, I guess. Sure. And then, and then, uh, an Acorn, and which I'm going to watch real soon. Yeah. And, uh, and I just buried in films. You got a lot of films to watch right now. I, uh, I know. I'm at 78% complete though. Seriously? Film Freeway lets you know your percentage. Wow. So I'm at 78%. So I'm, 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 that's Acorn. Cool. I can see Acorn just on the other side of that yeah. finish line. Yeah. That's actually <laughs> it, pretty good. It'll be my, it'll be my reward. As I, I like to sound like someone who wasn't born and raised here, but yeah, there you go, reward. My reward, and then uh, and then Daria tells you about this the true story of Oksana. Yeah. So, and this was what year was that? Twenty nineteen, I think. She told me about it, and just to give you a bit of a backstory, so it's a true story about a girl named Oksana Makar in Ukraine, 
and obviously Ukraine is a big topic these days, but this is before all that. And um, she lived kind of a, a rough life and came from a poor socioeconomic background and and uh, basically was assaulted and raped and ultimately murdered by uh, three individuals, three men, who it later became known that they were, uh, at least two of them were sons of the polit- political leaders there in their government. So yeah, some crazy stuff, but obviously a lot more than that. What was interesting to me was the way that society reacted. And she expressed this to me when she told me the story, because that they victim shamed her completely, you know, when she, and it wasn't just a uh, not that there's ever a good one, but assault, uh, rape, murder. It was horrific what happened. They, you know, they they raped her, and then after they thought she was dead, they continued to do so, and then basically put her in a blanket, tried to burn the body, okay, threw her in a, a ditch, and the next day she was found burning, kind of smoldering, so to speak. And uh, they brought her to the hospital. She survived a few days. They had to amputate some limbs. Uh, really horrific story, you know, and my heart just bled for this girl when I heard about this. But the worst thing was that in society there, the whole culture was talking about it because it became a big thing since it was the sons of some politicians. And they were victim shaming and saying, well, it was her fault. Look where she was. You know, look, look at the people. That's, you know, if she's around those people, what does she expect? And she shouldn't have been at that club and she shouldn't have been doing whatever, which is bullshit. You know, you and I both know it. I don't care if if you're hanging out. It's in Skid Row, you know, at at eleven o'clock at night or or midnight on a Friday. It's not smart, but that doesn't mean that you have the right to be attacked, right? Or you have the right to be murdered or God forbid raped, right? No matter what the case is, nobody deserves that. And so she went through this, and it's funny when I told Daria told me about it, and I said we have to, I have to write something about that, and we have to film it. She's like, no, that would be horrible. Who would want to watch that? That just sounds like horrific to see, which I completely get. And I knew that uh, based on that feedback, that it had to be told artistically to where uh, number one, it was palatable, you know, so you weren't just like wanting to vomit, um, but also impactful more so, uh, impactful. And, and, uh, so that's what I endeavored to do is, and you've seen the film, but tell it in a way. A couple of times. And, and, and you so artfully tell the story and you do something that I'm sure exists elsewhere, but I can't name it, which is you have an unreliable narrator who is doing it on purpose because of the sexist society she's dealing with. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, that's, that's, yeah. that's the bottom line is, is you tell different versions of this story right. from the same point of view, but it's because it's a woman who knows in a patriarchal society. Right. I mean, things might be better here, but it's still bad. Right. And Lord knows in Ukraine, uh, just whatever, 10 years ago, it was even worse. Really bad. Yeah. And, uh, and to know that a woman who had been brutalized, I mean, obviously it, you took artistic license, but, but it makes perfect sense that she would lie her ass off to a cop because sure. she knows the cop will blame the victim. Right. 
you know? That's what always happens, yeah. Yeah, and and uh, and so, and I, I just so happen to have, like, a big soft spot for unreliable narrators. Yeah. I just, I just think it's, it's, just, I think it's just more interesting storytelling. When, yeah, because it kind of, like, throws you off a little bit, right? It keeps you on your toes. I don't know, for me, that's... Yeah, we all want to be on our toes, yeah. right? We all, we don't want to be able to predict. 100%, yeah. I want I want to be thrown a curveball that I wasn't expecting, you know, in, when I'm watching a film. Oh, you you're you're a curveball pitcher <laughs> with Oksana <laughs> for sure. Yeah, yeah it was. The, they are they are going real wide and then coming in and yeah. hitting right in the in the in the chest. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad to hear that actually. That was the point. You know, I wanted because I knew that it couldn't be your stereotypical like cliche story. Obviously, we know here in the U.S., right? We all know this is all wrong. In most of the world, they know it's wrong. It shouldn't happen, and it, it sadly does happen. It's not like that's an isolated incident with this girl, right? These things happen. So, what makes this special? What makes it special is that we had because of how it was treated, the victim shaming for the the attack. We had the ability to, as you said. Um, Tell it one way, the way that society is showing it and the way that she's seeing it, and then reverse it and then show the truth of like, hey, I even think one of the last lines in it is, you know, um, would that have made it right? Like if, and I'm misquoting it here, of course, but, you know, if, um, if I was in the library or if I was a student, right, or if I was all these different things that we showed in the film, would that have made it, you know, uh, is this yeah, would right or wrong? It? Would that have would it, changed would, anything? Yeah. Would anything change? Yeah, yeah, based upon whether <laughs> the circumstances. I mean, my God, we're, we're still, yeah, this, women are still being victim shamed and victim blamed based yeah. on what they're wearing, right? Yeah, like, like, well, if she didn't want the attention, right? I mean, fucking hell, there's a difference between wanting attention, yeah, and being having your rights taken away, yeah. Yeah, having your lots taken away, and and of course, yeah, some amazing or I don't know, I don't even know how to call it, but but well, should I say what happens like with, during the credits? Sure, it's okay. Yeah. I mean, someone someone went into that hospital room with the actual Oksana and got actual footage. Right, that was actually her mother that recorded that. Her mother recorded that, yeah. and and I mean, as powerful as the film is, then then when you break See for that. just the right moment to show that to us. And it's like, I think it's actually really important. And I'm saying this for the wrong reasons, which is we've had message films at the festivals and I've sat close enough to people who are assholes. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. And, uh, well, I won't get too political, but let's just say they're, they're on the far right. Mm-hmm. And they somehow are at the Sherman Oaks Film Festival. <laughs> and <laughs> They and, wandered and, in, right? And, Who knows? And, <laughs> and it was actually during a, a young black woman's film that she wrote and directed about her ex- true life experiences. And I've got a Trumper like two rows behind me going, oh, this is like... Are you fucking kidding? No. And... Wow. And she did that about... Uh, <laughs> and then she actually bitched about a rape film that was in the same block... And then at the end of that film, there's actually documentary footage of the actual of actual victims wow. telling their stories, and it shut this person up. Yeah, and and because it was reality in their and face. thank God, no one. I don't think anyone could watch Oksana and do the oh, the, she did have it coming, but 
but the but way the way. way you tie it into like this really is this really is you see this what you see this human being yeah you can't you just you just absolutely that's you you nuke all cynicism yeah yeah you know i don't know if if um if we've talked about this before but even the the way that we chose the way that i wrote it and i have a cg guy that he's another one great guy he's worked on all kinds of stuff game of thrones and he did some of the dragons and the she hulk show and lots of stuff and we acted together years ago and he does cg so he helped a lot with the smoke and some of the effects and true we chose to to tell the story and show it so that she's smoking a cigarette throughout right and then all of a sudden and she's wrapped in this blanket if you recall then all of a sudden the when the reveal comes out that she's been in the real life story tossed in this blanket and set ablaze and then we the camera pulls back slowly and we see the the, the smoldering blanket on her and and the voice of the the cop or the detective who says why are you smoking oksana you know and then it's like Oh, and I just love that moment. I can just see it right now. Um, the turn of the actor's eye, Daria's eye, when she, you know, looks over. And it's just that pain in the eyes, you know, of to think of what this girl must have felt like. Literally being Well, when she alive. looks over, she breaks the fourth wall, right? In that moment? In that moment? A little moment, bit? Not in that I rem- okay, moment. Okay, it's, it's later, later on. then. It's later that yes. she looks right in the camera. Yeah. And, oh, exactly with that made a difference line. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yep. That's exactly where it was. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, there's just and again that goes back to my love for for you know being able to convey through story and through film like there's there's something that I love a good movie that makes me cry. I don't know if you're like that, Jeff. Like if I can find one that makes me really just like a gusher, I'm just just pouring tears. I love it because I feel like okay, I just got cleansed. Like I'm ready for anything now. You know uh, the 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 inside joke of the selection jury is if it makes Jeff cry. He's gonna fight for it, <laughs> and then I and then my second joke is that that because you know you you become a middle aged man and you like you have a hard time. Anyone who helps me cry has done me a favor. <laughs> <laughs> well put, yeah, yeah. We but, all need that release, man. Well, we you you know you, you experience a lot of difficult things in life, yeah. and and you talked about loss, and I've dealt with loss, and it's like sure. you know to function, we push it down, right? Yeah, we push right. it down, and then. And then one of the beautiful things about art is, is it just gives you that moment to let it out. Yeah, yeah, it really does. It's uh, it's a powerful medium, you know. Uh, I'm very, I feel so fortunate to be in this in this position at this stage in life, you know, and to be surrounded by the people that I am and have the opportunity now that I do. Uh, I really do. It's kind of like a dream come true. Yeah, for sure. And you complete Oksana and take it on the festival. This mm-hmm. this one you do the festival a festival run mm-hmm. for. Um, was that an indication of how proud you were? Uh, yeah, it was. And and again, that was really more so because I wanted it to get out there. Um, because as I said, I hadn't on some of the ones that I've produced before and written. We've done some festival runs and, and gotten some accolades, but. For stuff that I directed, I hadn't really wanted to. It wasn't my driving force by any means. But with this, because the story was true content, I really wanted to get out there. I wanted people to see it. And my other thing that we didn't talk about that was a bit of a a reservation early on is because, again, due to the story and its content, I'm like, am I the right person to tell the story? And I, I knew that might come up for some people. So I had this conversation with several different um 
people in my corner and and made sure, of course, that because of that, that we brought on uh, the the whole producing team and uh, and whatnot was all females. And the way the story was even written, I wrote it so that only female voices are heard again because it, it is that's what the the story is about. You know, making sure that those those voices. I mean, she just represents so many under, other millions of women over the years that have been brutalized like that. So, so intentionally it's told in a way that hopefully is impactful and helps spread the message for that. Yeah. You bring, you bring up a subject that would be even more of a hot button subject now than even a year ago, I think, Mm -hmm. which is, well, maybe I should wait till we're not recording, but fuck it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, go for it. No, Let's no, I mean, I, I've, I've seen, we've, we've had films now at our festivals, and the filmmaker's like, you're the only festival that took us. Hmm. And the answer was, it was a powerful female subject written, directed by a man, and a lot of festivals won't even touch it now, unless, unless that person makes, yeah. instead, of, instead of Daria being producer, right? Uh, you had two female producers. Right. But if you had just made it directed by... Her name and your name. Would've. All of a sudden, uh, you get into like twenty festivals instead of one, and yeah. that's that's a real thing now. It is, and I mean, I understand it, but I don't. Mm-hmm. I mean, I understand it, but also, if the storyteller respects the story and does it the right way, right, right. Because my issue is, and watching these hundreds of films is is is. I mean, I, I'm, I got it. I'm in touch enough. I'm, I'm somewhere on the scale, you know, of right. I'm, I'm not absurdly masculine or whatever you want to say, <laughs> but, uh, I'm not all wrapped up in it that I really do hate when guys try to tell female stories and, and you can tell they're not dropping the male point of view. Sure. Yeah. Like that is, that is annoying. That's a real thing. Yeah. And we've, and we've no had it for a hundred years, so we don't need it anymore. Right. Right. <laughs> Turn the page. We had a hundred years of guys telling the story right. of the hooker with a heart of gold. We're done. <laughs> We're done. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I agree with you. And, and it's definitely a real thing in Hollywood. Um, and I have, like I said, with this, I could have done that. I, I could have uh, probably put her on it as director or somebody, you know, um, I didn't even think of that at the time, frankly, um, because I don't look at it like that. I mean, the whole point of the story is equality, you know, of, of nobody, despite their gender, should be treated, mistreated or treated less than because of that, you know. So I, I didn't think of it in that regard at the time, but it's amazing what you said is so true because when, when we submitted it for festivals, it got into, you know, a few, several, but... Not like I know it would have, especially with that content, had it been a female director. There's just no question. I mean, I, I know it, it's true. Yeah. It's and true. I've got another one like that too. I wrote a feature film uh, a few years ago that we've done several revisions and at different points, it's in, been in different stages of pre pro called Black Wall Street, which is a true story. Right. Because um, you were in Oklahoma. Yes, exactly. <laughs> about the Tulsa race riot, you know, yeah. and I, I, I was raised around the African-American community and my heart just bled once I learned the story of the Tulsa massacre and how, how horrific it was. I mean, they were literally dropping sticks of dynamite on this community. Yeah. From, from a biplane or whatever. Yes. Yes. So I, I wrote this feature and I've just, um, had a lot of opposition about whether or not I'm the person to tell the story, which again, like you said, I understand. I completely do. And it's not lost on me. Um, 
And I, in a situation like that, maybe wouldn't be opposed to bringing in the right person. I just, just would want to make sure that the heart of the story was told. You know what I mean? And again, because I, I cultivated it and wrote it, and it's been through this maturation process, I'd want to make sure that whoever was brought on, it wasn't just because of the color of their skin, but really because they had such a burning desire and passion to express the truth in it. You know, that's key for me. For sure. Yeah. I got a director you should meet for that. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, man. <laughs> Extremely talented. But yeah, yeah, it's, uh, I know it's a weird time, but God, man, I really appreciate, well, we're, we're just, uh, we're, what, what do you call it? We're, we're singing to the choir. No, we're preaching to the choir to each other. Of course. Because we're, we, we have the same perspective. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, it is a wonderful time for the arts yeah. in a way, although we live in a country that doesn't support the arts very much, but, <laughs> right, right. but, but it, it's a wonderful time for, for, for underrepresented voices. Yeah, it is. They're starting to come up to the forefront, which is fantastic. You know, I love that. And for me, that might sound, you know, counterproductive as a, a white male, you know, uh, to say something like that. But I really do. I'm I'm thrilled that there's now these new voices and new stories being told or, like you said, being told with a fresh perspective that they really should have had a long time ago. I think it's great. Yeah. And, and you can you see that perspective. I mean, it's 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 there. It's mm-hmm. there. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's very it's wonderful. Yeah, it's wonderful. And of course, there's more avenues and they're finally learning that. Uh, right. The the Native American community. With reservation dogs yeah. and a couple others that I can't name, you know, for years executives said, "Well, you know, there's not enough Native Americans to support it, and there's not enough of an audience." It's like, what are you talking about? There's a lot of fucking white people who just like good storytelling. Yeah, give us a fresh story, and we'll watch it. Yep, you know, we want to learn. Tell us something new. We want to like- learn, and and we're you know, I don't need to see another uh, slightly overweight white stand-up comic. Uh, on a sitcom with with a <laughs> wife who a wife who's smarter than him and two kids who get away with murder like oh, so I've, cliche, you've shown yeah. it to me long enough right give me reservation dogs which is fucking genius yeah and it's great Sterling storytelling Marjo. and yeah. great great believable characters yeah. yeah that's also that's another Oklahoma guy um, so cool it's so cool to see those voices you know come to the forefront because I being there in Oklahoma believe it or not there is a pretty large population of Native Americans. And some of the people that I... Because um, I believe they were chased out of Florida. Yeah. That was, that was the Trail of Tears, right? Right. Didn't it end in Oklahoma? Well, I don't know if it ended in Oklahoma, but I know that a lot of... I mean, they've just been so spread out at different times throughout different parts of the country. Even then later on, not necessarily from the country, but from like the Dust Bowl and things like that. They they kind of headed west. But but the the fact is, there were still people groups that they were speaking the Choctaw language in different tribal languages, which is like amazing to me. I, I just love, and I would even when I was there, I would love to hear that um, because it's just such a, it's a dying language and it's something that you know that over time, if we're not careful, it's like an animal that goes extinct, right? Like we could lose it forever. So why culturally would we let that slip out of our fingertips if we had an opportunity to champion that story and hopefully, you know, give new life to their people group. For sure. For That's sure. Cool. Right, I'm going to shift back to you. <laughs> yeah. I know you, we keep going. You, well, I, I like your, uh, you have such a healthy humility that you always want to talk about 
It's just stuff I'm interested stuff in. Stuff that know? interests you, yeah. yeah. And you're not a narcissist, so you don't interest yourself that much. Yeah, it's not. It's which, is, which is healthy. <laughs> I guess. Uh, so. Bravo, oh. golf clap. <laughs> but so, so Oksana has a festival run. Yeah. Um, last year and probably into this year. Mm-hmm. And, and then you, you turn to the, the feature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're, uh, we are making this feature Little Bro. Now, this is completely a different side, right? Than Oksana was a true story, very heavy, very dramatic. Uh, this story is um, the genre is magical realism. It's a lot of fun. Thumbs I, up. I love that genre. Uh, love it. Um, but it is also very much a dramedy, and it's a road trip movie, I'll tell you that. And it's a story of uh, basically a, a drug addict, okay, who is racing to figure out how to stop aging backwards while he's on a road trip, a cross-country road trip with his brother, his older brother, okay, to go to their the wedding of their estranged mother. It's a trip, and it's like a zany ride. You know, he starts out at 34 years old, and like I said, he's got a serious addiction problems, and the older brother was always the one kind of made all the quote-unquote right decisions and had, looks like he has it all together. And so there's a lot of judgy going on there and uh while they're on this road trip all of a sudden he's you know they go through i don't want to tell you everything but they they go through whatever experience that he starts going from 34 then he's 14 years old and then by the third act he's eight years old and they're trying to figure out what the hell is going on and while they're on this trip you know they're also unpacking a ton of emotional baggage from their past so it's a lot of fun it's emotional there's also a lot of guy back and forth banter you know because it's a brother's road trip movie but it's told in a different way because you got it coming from a a 14 year old or an eight year old with an adult you know so it's should it's gonna be a lot of fun oh and he's mentally he's still the same age mentally yeah right he's still the same age mentally same memories he's just as jaded he's still addicted you know um, and he's lived a really rough, rough life. I hate that I find it hilarious to picture like an eight-year-old <laughs> doing hard drugs. Right. No, no, I get it. But it is fucking funny. It, it kind of is. It is yeah. really funny. It is. When I was waiting for you to mention comedy somewhere along the line yeah. because you said, you know, the college videos yeah, were, were, were all for fun. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, these are serious times, obviously. Yeah. So yeah. you've made some serious films. But I'm glad you're you're bringing some humor into that it's definitely got a lot of humor and i think in a story like that it's cool because um it it still has a very emotional message you know it's really about childhood trauma and you know how it can either bind us or break us you know it's about his relationship with his brother and and him like i said either being broken away from that completely or or finally reconciling and um it's personally a very close story to my heart um I've got a couple siblings, and we had a unique, unorthodox background, you know. But um, I've got four siblings, actually, but two brothers. So, yeah, it's it's definitely close to my heart, but it's something that's told so freaking funny. Like, it's laugh-out-loud funny. You can read the script, and you're just fucking cracking up. You're like, this is really a trip. Because, like you said, the the visuals of seeing this kid and the way he talks and the stuff he's going through... Uh, and it just, it's, it's a blast. So I'm really excited about that. We're going to be shooting that next month. Uh, we've got dates locked off from like the 9th through the 24th right now. So, uh, nice. Uh, by the way, 
I could be wrong, but like I don't think there's enough road films these days either. Like no, the road right? film, I remember I can name like many indie road films back in the day. Yeah, and like we don't get them that much anymore. Where'd they go? They, and who who doesn't love a road trip movie? They're always fun. Like it's always fun. Yeah, you, know, you do some, you get some car rigs, and you're set. It's like it's a play, right? Yeah. It's a play in a car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it totally and and. It, the scenery's always changing. Yeah, I love a road film. Yeah, so it's uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. But surprisingly, we're actually shooting. It's interesting you said that a plane, a car, and car rigs because a lot of this we're going to shoot locally here on like uh, an LED wall. So you know we're going to use a lot of those. That works now, right? Yeah, That's it a does. whole new level of. Yeah. Not looking like crap. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, because the green screen can edges, really look like cla- crap because right? the lighting you got to really manipulate, and it, the actors aren't uh, interacting with the lighting in the same way, and you're trying to make it look like it's passing by, and it can really be a pain. You know, I've, I've worked on lots of sets where we have that. Uh, this will be my first time working with an LED uh, screen, and I'm pretty psyched about it. But the DP has, the first AD has, a lot of our crew has already, so that's fantastic. Um, you know, you just got to be careful when you shoot it. The LED walls aren't as great for like middle of the day, 12 noon type hours, but they're fantastic for like golden hour and, and twilight and night. I, I'm quietly laughing because I just thought of, wow, what DP wouldn't uh, get incredibly aroused by the idea of you can have the magic hour all day. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no shit. That's I mean, right. I mean, back in the day, you'd be, you'd be on a set and be like, "Okay, everything's going to look good for the next yeah. forty-two minutes." Yeah, <laughs> let's go, people. We got to get this shot. Yeah, fast. this is this is this is the moment we were waiting for all yeah. day. Everything else was filler, but yeah, you can have perfect sunlight all day. Yeah, it's pretty wow. cool, man. It's pretty Never cool technology, you know. And I'm not a big tech techie guy. It's not like I'm one of those guys that's just up to speed on all the new technologies that are coming out, but the way I see it is like if it's out there and especially if I can bring somebody on that that understands it and can make sure that I understand it so that we can get the most out of it, I'm all for it. I'm all for that. Uh, I really respect filmmakers like Nolan and whatnot that Tarantino that shoot on film, you know. I definitely respect that. I think that's like golden. I love it. Uh, but I'm not at a stage like that because it costs a lot of money. It takes a lot more time, you know. Um, so I, I want to make sure that we tell the most story that we can, right. And the most impactful story that we can for the money, uh, and for the time that we have. That's where we're at. Fantastic. Yeah. It's exciting, man. That's very exciting. And that's very cool to hear. And, and bravo. I mean, you, uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to see it someday. Yeah. You I, will. I have a feeling you'll submit it. So I will <laughs> knock on wood. There's, yes. Make sure you get the alumni discount code from me. Okay, there we go. Yeah, I appreciate. I'll make sure that I call you up before we do that. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Anything else you want to throw in, or no, man? I, I just uh, want to thank you for doing this. I mean, and I don't mean today's session. I'm talking about having the podcast in general. You know, indie film it needs more light shed on it. Like you said, in our society, we don't really champion it the way that it it should be. Um, you and I both know that as much as I love a a good a good studio film a lot of the best films out there are silent killers that nobody ever hears about right so i'm all for it and i appreciate you doing this uh, i think good things are going to definitely come out of it and, and i'll definitely be listening as well i appreciate it i mean 
I've said it before, but I mean, this, this all happened organically because I got roped into film festivals and found out, rediscovered my love of it because yeah. for a little while I was away from it for a decade or two. And then, <laughs> uh, and then, you know, I've always been very disenchanted actually with Hollywood movies. Yeah. Because they are impersonal and they are a product. Yeah. You know, very much. And there's, I always thought there was the occasional, you know, brilliant creator. You know, I always thought Zemeckis was actually really great at telling a great story in the studio system and being able to trick them into letting them have an animated rabbit and, and Bob Hoskins like solve a crime together. Like, (laughs) like, how did he sell them on that? You know, and how do they, how did he sell them on a guy alone on an island with a, with a volleyball? But, but like, but, but most of it is just generic because that's, you know, you you know, you, you gotta, you gotta, you can't sell a five wheel car. You gotta sell a four wheel car. Right. 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 So, so then you go back to indie stuff and people are just making films because they have to, They're, they're not, no one, indie film is better today. Then when I was involved in it in the 90s, because in the end 90s, people did have the myth. And like you talked about Harry Ford, mm-hmm. I like to disrespect him and call him Harry. I don't know why. But uh, because... Love it. Because besides Spike Lee and Jarmusch, but, but you know because of Kevin Smith and Ed Burns, yeah. everyone thought, oh, I'll make an indie feature and I'll be rich. Right. So it right. became a lottery ticket. And there was just the festival scene kind of sucked after those films because they were being made for the wrong reason. Right. Whereas today, you know, God willing, your indie feature finds wonderful distribution. But I'm going to assume you're aware of the marketing of the environment. And very much so been looking into that. You know you're not going to buy a house in Bel Air because, (laughs) you know, right away, hopefully... Couple years after you make this film, people will be like, "Yeah, let's hire." I saw that film. Let's hire him to do something else. Yeah, bring this guy and in. Then sure. Hopefully, it'll be good enough for you to take. <laughs> but, right, but, uh, right. but yeah. Now the myth is dead. The myth. The myth. Yeah, people aren't showing up at the fe- festivals going. Oh, I'm gonna be. I'm above all this. I'm. I'm right. the one person here who's gonna be rich tomorrow. Harvey Weinstein's gonna take me to lunch and offer me a five picture deal. Oh my god. That used to be the dream. Yeah, because Kevin Smith gave twenty interviews where he said, "I went to lunch with Harvey Weinstein, and it changed my life." Wow! And then I guess twenty twenty five years later, he had to go public and go, um, "Yeah, about Harvey." <laughs> <laughs> Turns out, I don't know. I mean, he never, as far as I know, Kevin was never involved in a film where Harvey actually went after his lead actress. But God. our dear friend Tarantino had some apologizing to do. Yeah, because he didn't stand up for his actresses when he should have. Because it was it was part of the the culture. Yeah, couldn't yeah. overcome it. You know, even today, man, this uh, not to beat a dead horse, but the studio system. There's still a lot of that stuff going on. You know, uh, and not just in the studios. I'm talking about just in the industry in general with agents and representation and whatnot, and and female actresses, and you know what's expected of them, what they should audition for. Uh, I've had stories um, where uh, I've heard stories of people being cast for different roles and they're not supposed to. Well, she wouldn't be upset. I'll say this. So I'll just tell you my my fiance, Daria. So she was cast in a role and it was supposed to be very specifically, you know, that she's um, not being disrobed or whatnot, you know, and and just 
supposed to be flirting with the guy. She's a, a lead actress in this film. And all of a sudden, the director on set is telling her, hey, take that off and just move this way and kiss him here. And crazy stuff. She's like, that's not in the contract. First of all, we didn't sign that. We didn't. We discussed specifically the opposite of that. So again, that's one example of millions that happen all the time because that's one close to home for me. So imagine how many more there are all the time that we don't hear about that are going on in the system that we have, you know, and it's got to change, you know, it wasn't just Harvey Weinstein. That was like uh, a spearhead and that's the the figurehead, right? That, that we all look at. Um, but this stuff goes on and it's, it's not right. It's not kosher. Yeah. I know at every level. Yeah. At every level, you know, and th- with the other point, I'll just say, as far as like the studios, the reason that they're they're afraid to stop step out there, it's it's just a fear based system. I feel like you know they're so they're clamoring for their their jobs. They want to make sure that all they can look at is historically the numbers, right? Of what has done it before, what's the safe bet, what do the statistics show of what we can produce and and turn a profit, make money from our investment. So because of that, they're so afraid to step out there artistically. Take that leap, you know, and, and maybe try the five-wheel car like you mentioned. Um, and that's the beauty of indie filmmaking is that, especially now, people are taking leaps. You know, they're pushing the boundaries and and there's some exciting stuff. I saw some really cool films at your festival. You know, you do. We have good stuff. Yeah. yeah. It's super, well, and I'm sure you were in a great block. But, yeah, we had a lot of great stuff. Yeah. I know. it breaks, And that's what led me to do a podcast and a TV series and other shit is that. That's awesome. Is that it's just so frustrating that uh, you know at Film Vision LA in June we had four features. And, you know, it pisses me off that people are going to see you know Mission Impossible seventeen, yeah. and they're not going to see Donut, mm-hmm. a film uh, about doesn't matter that she's trans, but a film about a woman, a trans woman working the graveyard shift at a donut shop. And it's hilarious and touching and smart and a wonderful feature film. Yeah. You know, how are we going to get eyeballs on Donut, you know? Yeah. Maybe through TV High. I don't know. But, but uh, you know, and then an amazing film with life-size puppets, feature film. You know, more people are going to be excited about, I understand the world loves Tom Cruise. Sure. He doesn't need my movie ticket purchase. <laughs> He's right. fine. Right. But, but it, it is, it is, you know originality is you know sometimes i just go back i'm a beatles person and sometimes i just go back to the fact that like you know in six years they went from please please me to you know to abbey road and it's just like it's insane but it's because they didn't want to do the same shit over and over yeah yeah and it's like stop doing the same shit over and over they're a perfect example like they always morphed man it's just like they transformed Always wanted to push push their own limits and yeah. do something they hadn't done before. I love that. I want to be that way as a filmmaker, as an artist, you know, not just in film. Like, I'm sure that in my life I'm going to do different creative endeavors, though this is my main pursuit. And I want to always be the person in my life where I push my limits, you know, uh, do new things. Just try something different. Get a new experience, you know. Hell yeah. Well, shoot. Uh, <laughs> your feature... You're 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 not playing it safe. Let's do it. I'm no, I'm psyched about it. It's gonna be. I'm I'm 
so excited about this, especially now that the team, again, is all coming back together. And I, I hear their creativity. We're just like bouncing ideas off of each other. You know, we've got a script. We've got a, a, a blueprint, so to speak. But now it's like, oh, my gosh, this great creative idea about what we can do with the props over here and the lighting there. And it's so cool to see because it just feels like you're get, putting um, not just legs under, but wings on the film, you know, so that more people can see it. It's pretty it's pretty exciting, right? It's the house metaphor. You, you, you're the architect, and you, you, you got the blueprints. Yeah. And then when you bring in all the con, you bring in the the electrician and the plumber and this and that, and people start saying, "Here, could, here's a way that we can even improve on it." And it's like, hell yeah! The right builder says yes to everyone. Yeah. Everyone who has a good idea. Everyone who's got a good idea. Like, there's, I'm all about it. You know, bring the opinions. Let's hear it and. I mean, I, I trust myself enough to be able to say, no, that's not right for this film. I appreciate it. I appreciate the input. But uh, I trust myself and my reasoning, my decision-making enough to make those calls. But I want to hear everybody's input because very often they've got ideas that I hadn't thought about that make it so much better. And that happened in Oksana. That's going to happen in the next one. So It does. All right, I'll close. Uh, I'm, I'm right after this story, but I know you'll like the story. Yeah, let's hear it. It was, uh, well, John Cleese... Uh, a fish called Wanda. I'll always remember an interview he gave after that film came out where he said there was a line that wasn't working on set and people were throwing out ideas. And I believe the gaffer, a gaffer said, you know, he could say this. And he went, that's the best line. And he, that's the line that Michael Palin delivers in the film because, because it wasn't wow. like, hey, we're Monty Python members. We'll be the funny ones. Wow. It was, okay, something's not working. Who's got an idea? And like, didn't matter who put it out there. Yeah. He wanted to use the best idea, not yeah. his idea. Yeah. End of story. That's I'm, I'm going to do you one better. I'm not trying to be a one-upper here. No, I'm happy. Okay, and I'm not trying to be a motor mouth, but this is this, just along the same vein, Jeff. So, and this is for a studio film with Harry Ford, actually. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the, what was it? The first Indiana Jones movie. I don't know if you've heard this story, the the scene where he's in his professor role, right? He's a professor and there's like all these students, you know, the scene where the girl like closes, bats her eyelids and says something like love you or whatnot written on her eyelids. I don't remember specifically what it says. That was an idea that came from like the DP that Steven Spielberg talks about that. It was somebody on the crew. It might not have been DP. It might have been a sound guy. Somebody on the crew they were trying to find a way to spice up the scene and had the idea, what if we just wrote, wrote that on our eyelids? And he was like, yeah, great idea. But with a bigger ego, right? He could have been like, no, 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 that's not as, no, I didn't, just completely shut it down. I didn't see that. I didn't come up with that idea. That's not on the script. We're not doing that. We're going to stick with the plan, right? That gives so much color to that scene. It makes it so much better. It might be been. one of the most memorable things in the film. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I remember that. I remember the snakes. And of course, the the uh whatever sword scimitar versus gun yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> like like i don't i don't mean i know a lot of people just decided i'm an asshole because like i said raiders of the lost ark comes down to like three memorable moments <laughs> you and might lost half and, your viewership and, and the right biggest there. bowling ball i ever saw right okay, fine <laughs> uh, i'm just kidding all right well hey do you have a website or or stuff that or social media people should follow yeah, to yeah, just yeah, keep definitely. up so, i assume you'll you're forced to live in this new digital world where while you're making this feature, you're going to like share little clips and things. I am. We'll go. be doing, uh, you know, uh, footage on set and BTS stuff and whatnot. And, but frankly, I'm not good with this 
uh, digital world as much as I should be. Uh, my Instagram handle is will with one L dot crown. So W I L dot C R O W N. Uh, you can also find me my website's willcrown.com. So pretty simple. Um, and, uh, those are probably the best areas to like see and follow me and what we've got coming up. You know, I keep it as updated as I possibly can. So, yeah. Perfect. Excellent. All right. Well, I will make those clickable in the show notes. Cool. Which is, I always use this joke, but makes me feel like a real podcaster when I refer to the show notes. Show notes. Hell yeah. The show notes. And I'm going to ask you, Will, to remind me to take your picture as soon as I finish this spiel. Because Copy that. at the top of my notes, it says take pick in like a 10 times the size font. <laughs> and half the time people leave this house and as they're driving down the road, I'm like, oh, I didn't take their picture at the microphone. And then, then I have to use a picture from the festival. It's not as fun as at the mic. Yeah. Makes sense. All right. So, so you can follow Will at the clickable show notes. And now let me tell you about this stuff. So Discover Indie Film is this podcast, and there's a TV series that was born out of it. You know, go on Amazon Prime Video, type in Discover Indie Film in the search. Hopefully you're on a nice big TV. Enjoy these films that are short films handpicked from the festival circuit. Maybe even give it five stars. Write a nice review. I don't know. Be a nice person. (laughs) And if you want to learn more about this podcast or that series, you can just go to discoverindiefilm.com. And actually, it doesn't happen enough, but there's even reviews of indie films on there. Indie features get a review on there that then get linked to IMDb because trying to help the cause. Nice. And uh, so that's Discover Indie Film. Oh, and it's at DIF Wins on social media. Uh, we talked about Oksana uh, wowing everyone at the Sherman Oaks Film Festival. We hold that festival every November. You can learn more at ShermanOaksFF.com. And it's at ShermanOaksFF on social media. And it has a sister festival every June called Film Invasion Los Angeles. And you can learn more at filminvasionla.com. And it's at filminvasionla on social media. And last thing I mentioned at the end there, I, the, you know, uh, the, there's a thing called TV High. If you've got Roku, Apple TV, Android TV, Amazon Fire TV, or an iPhone or Android there's a smart TV app or just a mobile app called TV High, TVHI, or you can go to watchtvhigh.com. And that is a new streaming service devoted to indie content that is both excellent and it's called TV High. And the website's watchtvhigh.com because it's also wonderful content to watch if you can responsibly you and go. legally enjoy marijuana. I have friends in recovery, so I'm not flipping about it. Like, sometimes drugs can hurt you. Often they can. So be smart. But if you do use it in a productive way and uh, you are looking for something great to watch while you're stoned, like I might be several nights a week. I always was just ha- I was having a hard time finding stuff I wanted to watch. And I'm like watching festival submissions and I'm like, I would... I would love to watch this stone. Hell yeah. <laughs> so a great idea. So TV High was born. It was it was an idea that I just ran by board members and shit, and everyone was like, you should really do that. And I'm like, so I did it. It's done. It's out there. So now I need people to subscribe. So please subscribe. By the way, it's $420 per month. And if you use the code STREAM420, if you sign up on watchtvhigh.com, uh, you get a, a month trial instead of a week trial. Perfect. 
And we're adding stand-up comedy to it, indie stand-up comics. Just this week, we added two more comedians who you've never seen before, but they're funny as fuck. So anyway, hopefully it might end up being a nice home for aspiring comedians. I'm excited. Hell yeah. That's Thank awesome. You. Thank you. TV high tonight. TV high. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's fun. All right. Will Crown. Yes. You're a gentleman and a scholar. Thank you, sir. You too. This yeah. was fantastic. Appreciate you. Yeah. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And by the way, right after we stop recording, we're going to record the next podcast episode. I forgot to warn you about this, which is which will be Will answering the four questions, which oh, I'll name them now to show off I can name it. But it's just name three favorite films, an underrated film, an overrated film, and a lesser-known film that people should seek out. Hmm. Maybe you remember that you have that list. <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe not. All right. Good. I just bought you some time to think. Awesome. I needed it. Thank you, everyone, for listening.